Hey, welcome to What's On Your Minds. And today, this week, we're going to talk about teachers. Teachers with a special mission. And today, this is Kuhn Temmers. Kuhn is a teacher from Limburg in Belgium. And he has a worldwide mission and purpose. To create lots of children, climate activists, by making them climate conscious. So he gathered around lots of teachers around the world to teach these children um, to be more climate consciousness. How he is going to do that, he's explaining in our conversation. Really love Kun Temmers. Bye bye. Welcome to What's on Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week, a guest talks about his or her story, and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. Hi, Kun. This is in English. <laughs> The most easy question ever to start with. How are you doing? I'm fine. Yeah, a bit uh, tired, but uh, I'm doing well. Yeah. Okay. Now, Kun, I've known you now for, uh, I think, uh, a month or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've met you through Christophe de Spiegelier. Um, and first of all, I have to say, what you are doing is, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, I think it's 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 huge. It's amazing. It's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's amazing. Now, I mean, you are the founder of the Climate uh, Action um, Organization, if I can call it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it on LinkedIn that this initiative started about a small two years ago. Is that correct? It was uh, launched in two thousand seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Okay. Now, I mean. You want to, one of the things that you want to do is, is create a, a kind of a movement of a 2.5 million um, positive, charismatic, uh, nice climate activists. And so the children, I mean, where, where did you get the idea to, yeah, to change the world by yeah, making sure that children getting education uh, of, of, yeah, of, uh, of treating the world a better place. Where, 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 where did you get that idea? Yeah. So um, in 2000, I, I won a prize, an award from these students and um, which brought me to South Africa. And that was my first flight, first time ever going to another continent. And um, we visited a few schools over there but also when we went back to the hotel, fancy hotel, we uh, passed a few townships mm-hmm. and we were suddenly confronted with extreme poverty. Um, mm-hmm. And what I, what struck me is that um, a few journalists who were at the trip as well, um, they didn't seem to bother them. It was more like, yeah, let's go to the swimming pool. You know? But it bothered me. Um, and being a, a young guy starting to become a teacher, starting to teach, um, it's not possible to give them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I decided to do something back um, when I would be able to do that. And um, I think five years ago, I'm 40 right now, um, I launched a project about refugees. Um, mm-hmm. What I did is shipping my own laptop to a refugee camp in Kenya, which is called the Kakuma Refugee Camp. And I started to teach them for that. I had to make sure that they had internet connection, electricity, etc. It's a, re- a really huge camp, basically 200,000 refugees. Teachers have a wage of like a salary of, of like, I would say $80 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people arriving every single month without having any relatives and family over there. So it's, it's really heartbreaking. But I started to teach them using Skype. Um, I started to teach them math and science and English. And the refugees really liked this kind of uh, education. And I promised one of those refugee consultants over there to help them to raise the bar of education. Okay. But I was quite naive thinking that it would be easy to do that. So it was a really bumpy road. The laptop was stolen. I I shipped more laptops. Um, It was really 
a huge uh, challenge, but it was really rewarding because the really interesting part is that um, many, many teachers um, were really interested in joining the project and teaching as well, because so many teachers globally want to do more than just teaching their own children in their own uh, classroom. And that is the moment I, I noticed the power of the network, the power of the community of teachers globally. Mm -hmm. So all of the projects we've been doing always have been global by heart. And um, the interesting part is that so many people are really interested and really happy that we are giving and offering free education to refugees. But what I like as well is that this way we are able to fight polarization, which is a global threat, I would say. So many people claiming that they don't like refugees without even having uh, been able to speak with those refugees. So that is exactly what we try to do. We try to set up communications and, and direct uh, confrontations between classrooms across the world, every continent. We have uh, participants in 75 different countries. And what we do is just set up a connection between students in New Zealand, Canada, South Africa with those refugees in Kenya. And we make that a really um, interesting and intercultural exchange basically in which the teachers from Africa and, and, and all of the continents uh, teach math and science, but also the students have a really pleasant time um, by having that interaction. And that I would say is basically what I try to do. I try to change things through education and through a global network. And that is why I decided to do the same with climate uh, change, because mm -hmm. that's something what affects us all. And where, where, where that, that passion, that purpose driven around teaching, is that because you, you, uh, your family, your, your, you grew up in a family of teachers? Because yeah. my, my father is a teacher, my brother is a teacher. Uh, I'm, I'm not a teacher uh, and my father pushed me to become a teacher, but uh, yeah, it wasn't for me. Um, and they, even my father is retired. He's still a teacher in his head and his heart. He keeps on teaching. Is this for you some kind of calling? Is this something you saw in your family? Where, where did you get yeah. that? Or you were born with it? So my mother, my two aunts were uh, teachers as well. Um, and I decided already in primary education when I was like 10 years old that I wanted to become a teacher. But what happens when you go to school is that it is really uh, driven by examinations and degrees and, and aiming for the highest uh, mm -hmm potential degree basically and so I was advised to do because I, I was quite well and mad to do uh, studies to become an engineer but I think after already one or two months I remembered suddenly I remembered that I always wanted to become a teacher because I love to work with people and, and to explain things and, and um, that is what when I shifted uh, to become a teacher and so I went back to another school, became a teacher after three years and started to teach. And that was quite an, an interesting journey, I, I must say. Yeah. Now you have given um, a lot of people and children around the world. Uh, you teach them. Do, do you have some kind of... Uh, is, is the reaction of the children everywhere the same? Is, or is there a difference in, in terms of culture? In, in Africa or in the US or in Canada or in Zealand, is there, is there for you, I mean, we are in Belgium and that's what, at least my perception that's, is that, um, yeah, the, how do you say that, the level of um, our system, although I don't agree with how they do it, is rather high compared with other, uh, yeah, with other countries. What, what's your experience on that on, on a global level? Yeah. So when you focus on education in different countries and different continents, um, it's always focusing on skills and, and knowledge, et cetera, et cetera, how to teach, um, how to make sure that your students meet criteria. Mm. But very few times they are focusing on culture as well. And that is really interesting. So we are able to go to take a flight and in 
I would say like in, in half a day, you're in, in a different continent. And still, we don't really know about the people living over there. Um, we start reading books, but by having an interaction with those people over there, it's so interesting and, and so you learn so much about them. Um, and then slowly you start to realize that um, it's, it's really different. It's, it is really, it's different. really different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, how, how, how people act, how they... Um, okay, can you give an example of that? What, what is, how, how do I need to see that? Um, so... Okay, just a few examples. Um, when you communicate, and it's always quite tricky to generalize, <laughs> to yeah, say of course, like of course, of course. people from India are like this and people from, it's not like that. What is interesting is, is people always speak about um, India, China, Australia, Belgium, France, Canada, and Africa, you know, <laughs> as if it's, it's a country, it's a continent. And even that continent, those African countries have different languages and different mm -hmm. people and different uh, kinds of education. So it's, that is already a, a, an interesting thing. All of the times when I launch global education projects, some people are really keen on getting a certificate and a badge. And I thought it's, it's like, it's part of gamification, you know, people willing to have like a certificate. And I noticed that uh, especially people living in like India and like in Vietnam and Asia in, in general, they're quite keen on getting that certificate. And so I was wondering like, are they, why are they participating in those uh, projects? Is it just because, because they fancy that to have that certificate? And then that thing on its own is worth writing a book about because um, to them, it's really important to have those certificates, especially in people in, in India. Uh, but it why, also helps why, them. Why, why is that? Yeah. So there was one teacher um, who claimed like half a year ago like because of those certificates, the students were offered after getting those, after participating in the climate action project, they were able to go and study abroad. <laughs> okay. I was like, whoa, that's a different uh, concept. You know, it's not just like putting the certificate to the wall. It's really, it has some purpose to them. And it's interesting because professional development in Belgium as a teacher, schools, receive some kind of a budget which is not going to training you know it's going to new chairs and, and tables etc in the netherlands it's times five uh, the amount and they go to conferences and, and they're going to training sessions etc but like in, in all of the other countries globally people have to meet criteria and, and get their credits within three years, otherwise they are not able to teach anymore. They are not able to grow anymore. So it's, it's very, very dif different, like professional development, getting degrees and credits, etc. It's something we don't know. And when you, when you start doing and operating on a global scale, you have to know about that. Um, so it's, it's really, that part is, is really uh, rewarding to learn about and, and to make sure that teachers, um, start working on it. Also, um, what we do with the projects. So basically the bottom line of the climate action project is that I really genuinely believe that students are able to do so much more than memorizing definitions about climate. They are, have the full potential to find solutions and to take meaningful actions, which is way more than just learning about it and making sure that you meet criteria. So you want to spark their creativity and imaginations. Imagination. Yeah, it's, it's it's something about skills, creativity, critical thinking, problem-based learning, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that certain that that kind of education that is called like project-based learning, mm -hmm. and people in in Canada and India are all in about project-based learning, but people in the UK, in Belgium, and other countries they don't really believe about it it's interesting to to see what what um how people what, 
Uh, why, don't they, uh, why, don't, why don't we, uh, well, don't in the UK and Belgium, why don't we believe in that kind of learning? Um, there are... Because they, because they think it's here, because you have to be great in maths and language, and that's it. It's more driven by knowledge, yeah. People have to know things. Uh, people have to um, get a good degree, and it's not really about skills. It also depends on the Ministry of Education. Uh, the previous minister was more focusing on skills, and now they see that students are not meeting criteria. Um, and so they think it's, it's because of that other approach, while it's really easy. And it's, you can see the, a huge amount of research which is proving that knowledge is the only way to go, knowledge-driven, and you can find a huge amount of research which is claiming quite the opposite. So it's, it's that, in that case, it becomes really tough, right? What to believe, how to teach, you know, how to know how you, so, the same when you go to a conference, you may have a speaker who's all in about project-based learning and, and you may have a teacher who's really, uh, a speaker who's really into like um, instructing uh, students about knowledge, mm -hmm. etc. But the, the thing is, it's just like so easy. It's, there's no holy grail. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to focus on knowledge. We need to know certain stuff, okay? We don't want to have doctors who need to Google something before they're able to, to come up with a diagnosis. You know, we don't want um, engineers and we don't want uh, pilots who need to search the internet, uh, internet and use Siri on their iPhone because they, they forgot something or they don't know something. It, that's not the way to go. Google is not replacing the memory, et cetera, and, and brain. But for some uh, subjects and topics, we need to shift to different approaches so that we make sure that um, the students are able to unlock their potential at fully, at completely, you know, so that they are able to be creative and to come up with their own answers. And then you reach, reach a certain stage in which the teacher even becomes to learn from the students, yeah. which is quite a taboo in the classroom. We don't want that, you know, as a teacher, especially when you start to, to, uh, to teach, you don't want the students to come up with answers. You know, you prepared your lesson of one hour and it's already like, ooh, that's a question I don't really know how to answer. You know, let's, let's try to avoid that. Um, and as a teacher, you have to grow and to make sure that you start keep developing yourself and go to that certain stage in which students learn from each other as well. And even like the teachers uh, starts learning from the students. And that those are other pedagogical approaches. Those are approaches which are about um, collaborative learning, yeah. learning by doing, make spaces, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Which you, which you actually can see, I mean, I mean, of course, uh, if I look to the, the, the corporate life, eh, I mean, the way they, where, where do you learn stuff, the, the way I learn stuff is quite different than when I went to school. I mean, first of all, you, you, you realized when you were 10, you want to become a teacher. When I was three, I wanted to become a guitar player because I heard Lula from the Kings on the radio, but I couldn't just I had to go to school and blah, blah, because it was not a real job. And then at 18, I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know. I listened to the, what's it called? Now is the CLB, that was the PMS then. Mm -hmm. And then, and then they say something about me to my parents and my parents told, and I said to him, themselves, fuck off, we're not going to do that with Peter. And then I studied some generalistic economic thing on the university. And when I graduated, I still don't know what, I didn't know what to do. And, and uh, somebody called me from a company, don't you want to work as a sales guy? And I was like, yeah, maybe. And it took me years to really find out who I was and, and what my real potential was because I, nev I never took the time to, to ask my, myself that question. Whereas if I look to my son, I'm, I'm taking really, I'm, I'm really careful what he's doing. Hey, he likes puzzling, he likes painting. 
things like that. And I stimulate him with him uh, in that. And also the fact is that I've learned through my environment that there only were two ways. It was languages and mathematics. And that, they, these were the things, but like mm -hmm. playing guitar, uh, yeah. speaking, soft skills, eh? communicating, uh, emotions. Uh, I, I never learned that stuff. Eh? And um, if I look now to, to, uh, to the corporate life, I mean, trainings, like the instructing trainings, eh? one person in the front of the classroom and blah, 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 blah. I mean, I know it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick in the people's head. They don't do anything mm -hmm. with it. And for me personally, and of course, I agree with you, you have to memorize certain theory to, to start with, eh? uh, as a musician also. I mean, if you don't know the difference between a C and a D, which is an, a Do and a Re, yeah, okay, it's, uh, I mean, you have to know it's a, it's a, this is the chord, it's a C and, a, and an E and a an G, and that's a C chord for this, C major chord. That, these are the things that you have to learn, and it's a one, three, five. Eh? But after that, I mean, it's, it's, it's about playing, and it's about, uh, how do you say that? It's, for me, like, I just give you an example. Eh? If I want to, my team or our team, if I want to learn them something, for me, the goal is, and it's just one technique, eh? role-playing. It's really about, we're going to mimic a certain situation. And of course they have trained certain skills, but then they have to do it in a room with each other, with me, with other people. And I do it until I, until I see some progress. Mm -hmm. And um, because I know then it will stick Otherwise, it's it's like giving some kind of knowledge into their heads and it goes away. Yeah. And I wanted to stick it into their hearts. So for me, that that uh, the, and, and this is a strange thing. If I look at myself right now, I'm 45 and I'm so curious. I want to learn all the time. Mm -hmm. Like talking with you, you're very passionate and I'm like, I want to know everything. But if I look back on my 21st, 23rd, and there were some passionate teachers eh? uh, and there I learned the most from. I really, really remember a teacher who was so passionate about political history. There was a course I fucking hated it because I, it, was, it was so boring, but he gave it with so much passion. I really loved studying that. So I mean, the thing is, I'm really convinced that a lot of people want to learn, but they take away the joy of the learning also. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you see then in the corporate life, the things that you learn in the school, I mean, they are not ready. The, the, the school is really great for when you have to work, like in the, in the industrial revolution, that was that. But right now we need creativity. We need collaboration. We, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a diplomat, but I don't do that for a, a, a living. I never did that. I just mm -hmm. studied that. And, and I just, I would, I am going to add, I'm going to even go a li little bit deeper farther is that i had to learn i had to unlearn everything to really know what's life what is business life things like that communication because i thought of certain things that yeah it's like this but it isn't especially in these times which are changing all the time i mean i mean look at look at 16 year olds there are a lot of people with anxiety why don't they teach meditation in schools? I don't understand that. My son is learning meditation. Why? Because I don't want him to tickle on, a, on an iPhone all day long. I want him to calm down and to look at himself and, and, and to tap in that field of creativity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And especially we are going to the fourth industrial revolution in which everything is interconnected. And um, I'm pretty sure that AI, artificial intelligence is going to be the real deal. And why? Because of that part, some jobs really will disappear. Um, I already control the dr uh, a drone with my own mind. That's already available. You can buy that at the internet for 250 euros, you know? That's already available. You can buy a drone, which you can control by just thinking. Okay, Go okay, up, okay. left, right. Okay, I understand that. But Kun, do you think that AI, because I live in that world, as you know, eh? I mean, and I even sell things with AI, and, and it's a fantastic technology. 
do you believe that creativity will be will be possible with AI? Do you really no. believe that? That is that that's my point. Um, that is why human beings have to be creative. You know, otherwise, um, how to make the difference with machine learning and AI? Yeah. That is why we need to be able to solve complex problems. That that is exactly why we need to have empathy, because machines will never have empathy, probably, most probably. And that is exactly why we need to address those very important, crucial skills during I mean, education already. I mean, I mean, if you look at music, they can with AI create some music based on, for instance, Bach, and they can old, and they can create a new piece of music based on this is Bach. If I want to, if I go to a concert, because I'm also a musician myself, I want to feel the passion of the people playing. Okay. I rather enjoy Jimi Hendrix with his G uh, string because he was playing way too hard and too loud and, and he was really rude on the guitar that it's a little bit detuned. Mm -hmm. but was, it was part of the show. And even mm -hmm. when some singer sings a little bit off key, that's yeah that's something i i the human thing is not perfect and i want to feel like a human and there's that connection i want to be part of a of a bigger thing because as you say everybody is everything is connected but i really believe that everybody is connected and we think that we are separate by our ego and we but it's actually that relationship that i would say chemistry but that 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 invisible thing and that's that's the thing i think AI is great to make sure that people can live to their potential, what they're made for. And if that means you're a musician or you're a ballet dancer, or you want to um, make the world a better place by, by climate action, by, eh, by um, creating, fueling uh, 2.5 or even a billion um, enthusiastic, charismatic uh, climate activists, I mean, do that instead of just giving your time and giving away your life actually and if that's ai can do i mean i think that's a great thing mm -hmm. yeah now i mean you, you talked about ai um, machine learning what is the impact on, 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 on schooling? What is the role of a teacher there? I mean, you see with this, all these digital, because uh, so I also sold this kind of uh, tools, uh, all these uh, digital learning stuff. Where's the role of the teacher there? What, what do you see there, the future of the teacher? Do you think yeah. the teacher will disappear? Um, there's, there's a great story, which was written in the 50s, I think by Asimov about, um, a little girl being taught by a computer and so the computer was replacing the teacher and it is called the fun they had and the, the interesting part is that uh, Asimov wrote about a computer before there even was a home computer you know um, but that's the main question will AI ever replace a teacher so I would say no um, especially because of the human skills, um, especially because of empathy. What happens when um, you have a student who is angry or uh, disappointed, etc.? How will a computer deal with that part? And the interesting part is that um, there is an organization called Bridge Academies. And what they did is in Africa, they tried to raise the bar of education as well. And so what they did is they created an algorithm and they gave laptop uh, tablets to the teachers over there. And it, the algorithm and the, the tablet was saying to the teacher, like, now you have to teach two minutes about this part, about the letter B, and then you have to ask him this question, and then you have to do this and this and this, and all of those, the, what the teacher was doing was sent to Cambridge as well. And the interesting part is that um, there was no room left, no space left for the students to ask questions because those didn't really fit into the algorithm. <clears throat> and they're really well funded by Zuckerberg and by Gates, this Bridge Academy uh, program, millions, billions of, of dollars. 
but that is a typical case of AI and a teacher replace and, and machines replacing a teacher. I, I do believe that this already was a robot teaching. You know, it was still a human being, but there was no room left for like emotions, no room for, even for questions, which is crucial, a crucial part of education. So um, that is exactly where AI and a computer already is able to replace a teacher. I'm pretty sure of that. That is, and the interesting part is that, that this kind of education was offered to poor children. The wealthy ones, they had a private teacher, you know. <laughs> and the same is still happening in Kenya. So it's the only country uh, on earth which made a decision at the early stages of COVID that every student was going to have to do the year another time. So a second time, the same year. So it's a last year, but to many Kenyan people, it's just like, that's the end of education for them. It's too expensive to do redo this because they were not able to, uh, to make money. So not able to pay for education as well, especially not doing the same uh, year twice. And so you already can see that the wealthy kids in Nairobi, they do have like a laptop. They are, are able to have like online learning and the poor kids, they have to work in the field. Yeah. And so that is a huge threat to humanity, I would say. That is a huge threat. We cannot make sure that computers are going to replace teachers. They may um, give some extra values to it. Um, I think we can already agree that we would not be able to do this without technology as well. And hopefully people are learning from this uh, thing, but it's not, we cannot replace education by podcasts and by, by no, of uh, course Zoom not. sessions, etc. Yeah. No, no, no. Because I also believe that there is another role for the teacher is that uh, I, I read a, a study in Harvard. It was quite a, a while ago and they did a test. So they had a, a one group of children and then they had another one group of children. The first group, and they were mixed there, eh? so they mixed. So the first group, they were they have an IQ which was mixed, so it was not the same IQ. And they said to the teacher, these kids are above average. They were super gifted in terms of IQ. And say the second, they like normal, whatever you want to call normal, eh? because I don't believe in normal. And so they said to the teacher, these kids are super super gifted. And so they tested up front the IQ uh, the, and the intelligence coefficients. And the, the thing was that after, so the teachers who believed in the first group that they were super gifted, they treated also the kids like they were super gifted. And the results of those kids were better. And even their IQ went a little up. because of the fact that the teacher believed in the potential and saw the potential of the child. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I really believe in that. I really believe because I had somebody on the, on the podcast who was working in, a, in education for, for, for children who, how do you say that? Um, it's called, in, it's, it's translated, it's extraordinary, so buitengewoon onderwijs. Mm -hmm. And she has, a, she has written a complete book and manual to, to discover for children around 10, 12, to discover their skills, their, their talents, their potential. Because those kids, because my father also worked in such a school, um, yeah, I wouldn't say they're a little bit, little bit outside of the, of, the, of, the, of the society, but they're, yeah, it's not the typical mathematics uh, language it's more the practical side of and and they also call it quite negative names in the past they called mm -hmm. it like uh lager etc lower so they, immediately those kids get a get a get a and, yeah. and uh, yeah yeah they and so they believe they are inferior to others that's and i don't believe in that so did you also did some research on, on those kind of things uh, in yeah. terms of the teacher having an impact on children? Um, I think what is even more important in this part is that we learn to make our students independent, but also offer them a growth mindset. Um, 
um, that's not, it's only there for like a few years, I would say like, I think in 2014, um, Carol Dweck came up with the growth versus the fixed mindset. Yeah. Thing is that once you believe you can do something, you may be easy to achieve it. Um, while when in a, in a fixed mindset, you will, when you think like, you know, um, electricity and, and those kind of things, that's nothing for me. I'm not able to do that. You will never succeed. Um, and I think that the teacher's role is more like a facilitator, making sure that they were, are able to taste from it and they, that they are able to, to do experiments with it. Uh, taste different uh, aspects, basically. Uh, a little bit about music, etc. Um, that is also why they shifted to like 21st century learning, but also to STEM, even STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, the A, and uh, mathematics. Okay. But, yeah. So some people do realize that the arts are really important, but it looks like they're not uh, seeing that in, in Belgium because... Uh, <laughs> Um, that kind of, of education about arts is, is uh, losing uh, hours. Uh, it's, it's losing attention, basically. And, and yeah. Do Do you know Sir Ken Robinson? Yeah, he passed away this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, what he how he started his his, his keynote is more like uh, students do love to learn. You know, they learn, they love enjoy learning by heart. And, and his thing was more like creativity and arts, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, yeah, he, he, that was my first eye opener as a teacher, basically. Like, uh, we have to shift to other, um, other ways um, to reach the students, but not at all times, not, not always. It's also sometimes learning and teaching and education will be boring, but it's essential. Uh, to have that knowledge as well. Yeah. yeah, but it's also, I mean, by the TED talk of, uh, of, of Sir Ken Robinson and also his book, The Element, I mean, and I don't blame anybody, but I had and I have, because of that, embraced my artistic side because I always suppressed it because I was like, yes, society me expects me to be a seller and to be, and to be, uh, to study economics and to behave in a certain way. And when I was 38, I did a kind of an, um, I just say that a, co a, co a coaching to, to, to reorientate mm -hmm. my professional career, because I was like, this is not my, I don't, I don't like it anymore. And then <laughs> again, I, there was a proof, Peter, uh, yeah, there's their artistic sides. And since the moment that I then said I am a musician and it's and I'm okay with that, it's it's part of who I am, and I'm going to play more music. I mean, in terms of passion, I have never ever received more energy and passion, but yeah, because yeah, nobody yeah, I, I felt it was not enough. And that's something that I, I learned from from, from Sir, Sir Ken uh, Robinson. Now, you talked about growth mindsets. You have a growth mindset because the climate action, because this is the, the purpose of the complete conversation, of course, because I want to create more awareness for your beautiful purpose-driven organization, climate action. Now, I mean, you talked about the refugees and then... In 2017, you started climate action. I mean, why climate action? I mean, yeah. there are a lot. There is plastic in the ocean. I mean, there's poverty in Africa. Why? There's shelter. Uh, uh, also, people who have have not a roof above their heads. Why climate action? Yeah. So the UN came with uh, an interesting framework, which is called the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, um, 17 of them, um, which have to be met by 2030. And those include like poverty and um, gender equality and life upon land, clean water, and climate action is one of those, but also sustainable cities, et cetera, et cetera, and collaboration. Um, and we did quite some projects, also the, the, about the, water. I mean, 
you said about UN, so they ask you to start that organization? No, or? no, no. The UN came up with those goals yeah. um, globally. Yeah. yeah. But when you want to teach um, students in a different continent, it's interesting. So if you if I ask you, like, you have to teach in one hour, you have to teach something, and you can choose the, the, the topic, you know. If you decide to go to teach about food, they may have different ingredients or they even may not have food, you know, in the refugee camp. If, I, if you decide like I will, in that case, I will start teaching about biology, about trees, they may have different trees. So we wanted to give it a more like purpose, um, not the typical things people are, are teaching and learning at their own school, more like a supplement, uh, something what was lacking in education as well. And the UN Sustainable Development Goals offer a great framework for that because um, poverty is, is a global thing. Um, gender inequality, you may think like that's something of Africa, you know, in the Middle East and maybe in some parts of Australia. No, men are still earning more money, every larger salary than, than women, even in, in Europe, in our, uh, our own country. So that's definitely something we need to discuss in education as well. Um, what we don't want to do is to force people. We don't want to brainwash anything. We want to give them extra insights. And in most cases, that's just enough. It's enough to tell people like, did you know that um, there's plastics in, in, in toothpaste? Did you know that? No, did you I didn't know. Yeah. Those, those uh, little dots, that is, those are called microplastics. They go straight to the ocean, you know, they go into fish. And it okay. was proven that every human body already has plastic inside in your intestines. And there was research that a few months ago, even like in placentas, there's plastic already in every fish in the, in the ocean. And there will be more plastic in the ocean by 2050 than fish. Those are important facts, you know. If that is making you live in a different way, um, just acting different, um, making a small difference, that is great. But when you make sure that those students come up with solutions for that, um, that they invent or create their own bioplastics, that is something they can do, which they already proved to do during our projects. And when you make sure simply, I'm not an inventor, but when I make sure that every student globally is able to know about their solutions, that we disseminate those, that is when magic happens, you know. We had students coming up with a solar suitcase, a small suitcase with a solar panel inside of it and a battery. It was shipped to Africa. That's wonderful. Now they have free electricity. But what if you uh, ship the components to Africa and you teach them how to create their own solar suitcase that is when the magic happens that is when they are able to change their own destiny that is when they are able to bring change in their own communities and make money out of that that when they are skilled and that they're able to change their own destiny basically so education is always important to make to change people's mindsets to change behavior as well but also to address those very important skills. When we have been doing the Climate Action Project, there was one teacher in Arizona, Tara in the US, and she discovered that her students were able, that they believe everything they read on the internet. They think that everything what's on the internet is true. And they read about Antarctica, that it is increasing, uh, that the ice is increasing. There's coming more and more ice and it's becoming larger. So they thought like, Climate change is a hoax, you know. Or, 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 or that, the, that the earth is flat. Yeah, there's still people uh, believing in that part, <laughs> which is quite funny. But um, that's why we decided to allow the students to, to send messages to space. <laughs> Where, um, that's something we... So the project is not only about learning and, and it's also having, about having fun and having some wonderful opportunities. So we made sure that presidents endorsed the project and we made sure that students are able to ask questions to those presidents and, and scientists and that they're able to uh, have live interaction with astronauts into International uh, Space Center, et cetera. 
So that's all part of the project. Um, but, but I mean, it has been really, really mind blowing to see that students create their own bioplastics and that they even found ways to create it with milk and vinegar, something everybody has at home. Everybody is able to create their own bioplastics at this right moment to create a, a small Lego uh, minifigure out of it. So everybody is able to play with Lego um, because of that solution. That's just like, I would say like, wow. Amazing. That's cool, yeah. Now, um, what I also saw is that uh, there are a lot of also famous people and a lot of uh, yeah princes and kings and, and presidents who, who support your uh, support your organization. Uh, I saw Charlie Theron. Uh, you received also a award from Bill Gates. I saw. I just saw a video of you and Jane Goodall. How the fuck do you keep your ego in check? dear uh, my dear how do you how do you do that i mean i, I mean kun i mean these are yeah i mean i see i saw pictures with you and charlie Theron. i mean i i, I assume they're not photoshopped <laughs> that you actually no, met her quite... have yeah. you met her how does how how does that feel to to be in a room with such a yeah, movie star or president and you, yeah yeah you take a picture and i support your organization is that real or was that fake? And how uh, sure, how do you real. keep your how how do you keep your ego in check? How does 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 that make you feel that your that your feet stay on the ground? I think it's because of a mindset of taking a look forward to the future and not really focusing on the past. Um, but there's two ways to approach this. When you have the, the opportunity to meet those people, you can ask them like, "Let's make a selfie." And brag about it but the other thing to approach this is like can i have your business card so we can maybe you can support the, the mission or maybe you can make sure that it's going to the next stage and i think that's really important to grab those opportunities to make sure that you next time you will you will be reaching more people because of that celebrity's endorsement um and i'll also always try to make sure that this is not about me but about the community, about the mm -hmm. teachers. When they send us a message, it's more like this message is addressed to your students, to you, because of your efforts. And that's the way to tr to make sure that it's that we are able to go to the next stage. Yeah. How, how many how many teachers are now in in the community globally? So we have, um, depending on on the on the the project, we have like ten thousand teachers, etc., mm -hmm. um, or more. Um, and and that, teachers can apply on your site, climate climate action dot yeah. what is it dot com or dot uh, climate dash uh, action dot info. Yeah. Dot info. Climate action dot dot com was taken and it's quite expensive. <laughs> okay. But um, maybe in the next stage, who knows. Um, but this is the more that's basically the flagship it's it's most people are joining this project although it's not that easy for some teachers to join it's a free project but some teachers in the us are not able to join they're not allowed to join by government by school board etc and you can see a real when you take a look at the map you can see like the states at the, the oceans they are joining but those right in the middle, they are not joining at all. We have uh, teachers in some countries like in China or, who are not able to join because all of the technology we are using is blocked over there. Mm -hmm. So this year we started to use WeChat. They're doing everything with WeChat over there, um, paying for things, communi communicating, uh, browsing, um, having phone calls. It's all with one tool, which is called uh, WeChat. But also we were not able to reach um, Latin America just because of the language. They don't really speak English, very few people over there. So what we did this year is, is translating the website and the information and the, the emails into Spanish. So we were able to reach them as well. And like Africa, they have a huge issue with internet connection, with bandwidth. And the only tool which is really working well with, for them is uh, WhatsApp. They don't really have a lot of computers, but everybody has a cell phone. So they're doing this mobile. They're using WhatsApp and that is a different approach for them. So they're not using the website, but they're using WhatsApp groups 
to communicate and to coordinate the project. So every uh, group of people, and this is also about culture, you know, they have a different approach. And how we did that is, I'm not able to do that. I, I noticed when we did a project and we had like 50 schools, that's the maximum amount you can do and check in with everybody. Like, how is it going with you? How is it going with your students? Uh, <clears throat> is everything, everything going well? Once you have like 300 schools or 3,000 or 30,000, I'm not able to do that. And that is why we came up with ambassadorships, with facilitators. We have 175 facilitators with uh, speaking 15 different languages, and they are making sure to guide their own groups of 50 to 100 schools in their own language, in their own culture as well. And they help to translate the curriculum um, I would say like 75 different pages in one week. They translated the curriculum in one week to 15 different languages. So it's, it's and everybody is, is doing this on a voluntary basis. So nobody gets paid. So it's, it's just passion, you know, belonging. Um, Amazing. Being able to do something cool in your country. But also when they, um, are being interviewed in their newspaper and, and their um, television station, national television, national radio, it's about them. It's about those kids, about those teachers, those schools. It's not about us, not about me um, by far. So it's important that they are able to grow um, from this as well. And it's, it's really nice to see what happened um, like in Ireland because of a really good teacher over there, Kate, they were able to bring national change over there. They brought national change with the Green Dot movement. They received a letter from their president, President Higgins. So that is extraordinary for those kids, you know. They received a letter from their presidents with congratulations for what they achieved with the ministerial environment over there. Um, they were on national television, they were on radio. And I think it's very hard to achieve the same with a textbook with definitions about climate change. <laughs> Great. It's yes. important to know to have the right data about climate change. It is important at some stage to read this definition, but then you have to move on and make sure that the students come up with solutions and that they do more, way much more than just learning about it and, and yeah. memorizing it. And, and that, that's that's why it called climate action and not climate, climate learning. Project. Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, again, talking about growth mindsets, you are touching, creating a movement of uh, 2.5 million eh, of these uh, young uh enthusiastic passionate climate activists uh, so the children i mean how far you want to go is it like one billion mm -hmm. yeah sure Two at billion? least like 100 million um one billion may be tough um, because we still rely on internet connection and maybe because of uh, musk's new plans and satellites we will be able to have free internet connection globally, who knows? I think we may be able to achieve that. But um, yeah, that's certainly what we want to do, um, making sure that we can have a huge group of climate, young climate activists, because they bring change at home as well with their friends. And it's a, a story of bottom up, um, students bringing change at their own school campuses, at homes, um, having discussions with their parents, grandparents, etc., and bringing change that way as well. But at the same time, we're trying to do it top-down as well, through the UN, through the European Parliament. Um, we had discussions with Negresco, who's willing to do, make sure that every school in his own country, in Romania, is willing to join. And that will be the case for other European countries as well. We had uh, the Minister of Education in, in Portugal, who sent a letter to every school over there, uh, asking them to join the project so uh, the same in Malawi the same in the, even like in, in the US in New Jersey 
who's really in and can, uh, California as well. They are really into like climate, um, and probably a lot will change over there uh, with Biden as well. But uh, we are trying to squeeze them into a sandwich, basically top down and uh, bottom up. Yeah, but it's it's it's. I I see myself now that my son of three years and a half. Imagine he he's learning now today about apples. That's what he told me. Um, I mean, imagine he's five, six, and he's and he's talking about climate action, and he's like, "Dad, uh, uh, recycle and do this and do this." It looks really like a family project, and because it's my son, and the climate is for his generation and the generation after him, and after him and after him. So it's my responsibility to make sure that yeah, that I do something to make sure that uh, that I leave the place better than it was before. So I mean, for me, it looks really appealing to, to uh, um, yeah, to, to 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 see that as a, a kind of a father-son project. You see, because that's mm-hmm. something we're doing together, and it looks it's crea- it's it's also sparking creativity, and also the fact that my son looks in different way to things because he's not spoiled by some kind of conditioning. So, yeah. I mean. What we, I call a fork, he does dif- different things with that. Eh? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, if you would meet the Kun Temers, you're 40, when he's like 16 or 18, what would you tell him? Haha. <laughs> I think it would, wouldn't be like a one-liner. Maybe I would say like nothing, just like uh, you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I think the journey, even if it's like tricky and, and uh, with a lot of bumps, is worthwhile. Um, also in support, like those people who got everything they needed, uh, just they have like the talent. I would say it pays off more when you come from a different background and you have to struggle for it, you have to fight for it. I think that is really something worthwhile um when you have to fight for it when there's no money involved etc so i would say like uh, i wouldn't say anything i'm also somebody who wouldn't be willing to win the 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 lottery etc i would want to fight for it myself and okay if you But is it, is it then nothing? I would, I'm going to ask, rephrase my question. What is then for you the biggest lesson that you learned in those, I would call it 20 years? Eh? What's for you the, the biggest lesson? Is it like, don't trust anybody, trust on yourself. You can, for me, it's like, you know, Christophe, eh? I mean, that's one of the lessons. I mean, you can actually achieve anything that you want. I mean, mm-hmm. if you put your mind to, that's one, one, one exactly of the lessons. Point, yeah. Yeah. And, and the answers are in yourself. The mm-hmm. answers are within yourself. That's just two lessons that, that are popping up. Uh, that, 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 I mean, when I'm coaching like 23 or 24 year olds and they, they ask me some things like that and they're struggling with, with that success thing and, and going to somewhere and, 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 and things are not going as fast as they want to go. What would you, what, what is like a, one of the biggest lessons for you that you learned mm-hmm. those 20 years? Mm, I think um, that it's important to step outside your comfort zone. Um, it's a cliche that they claim that that's where the magic happens, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's but true, that's, eh? it's, it is true, yeah. Um, always saying yes um, to not only opportunities but also like um, those bumpy roads. Um, yeah, it allows you to do something different, um, something more. Yeah, I think you have to always to try to find uh, that extra. Yeah. Now, within ten years, who is Kun Temer? Mm-hmm. Um. Still doing the same on a, on a larger scale, um, more efficient as well. Um, and um, still having this, this conversation probably. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and different, uh, different data. Yeah. 
you 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 have also a son, eh? mm -hmm. I mean, within ten years he's an adult. Do you want him to join the the movement, or is he already? I'm pretty sure that he will come up with his own uh, projects and and own ideas. Um, and I would prefer that basically, not just like joining, but like yeah. taking the lead himself. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Hun, <laughs> is there something that you want to add that we did not discuss in this conversation? Well, a lot. <laughs> but I think we, we covered the, the, the most important part, yeah. Let's, let's, let's conclude it like this. This is part one. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> Speak in 10 years. <laughs> well, I hope we don't, we don't wait that long, of course. Eh? I mean, Kun, I want to thank you. I want to, I'm so grateful that you want to be a guest uh, and for everything that you're doing, because I think you're a beautiful soul doing beautiful things in the world. And uh, every time I speak with you, I, 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 I always think to myself, he is doing something to make the world, the world a better place. And um, I feel really humble. That's great. So thank you for the conversation. Thank you for the energy. Thank you, thank you for the purpose and the passion. And I wish that a 1 billion climate activists who are enthusiastic, who are charismatic, who are passionate, who are creative, who are going to take vinegar, who are going to take milk and create their own Lego figures and who are going to yeah, create a cleaner planet. Yeah, great. Looking forward to that. <laughs> Good, thanks Thank a lot you. and all the best there. Eh? Perfect. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Peter here. Thanks a lot for listening to What's on Your Mind. Looking forward to your opinions and comments. And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye.